Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Hi, welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks for being with us today. Really excited about today's show, and I want to get right into our collegiate spotlight. Today, we've got Tori Kostecki from the University of North Georgia. She's going to tell us about her shooting program and and, uh, what type of shooting they do and, and all the information needed for anybody considering going to the University of North Georgia. Hi, Tori. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, Kelly. It's great to be here. Um, so at the University of North Georgia, we're quite a small school. We're located in the rural North Georgia mountains. Um, we're consistently ranked as one of the safest universities in the nation, as well as being ranked as one of the best values. Um, our in-state tuition is very low. It's about $3,500 per semester, and we are able to offer in-state tuition to all members of our Corps of Cadets and almost all of our athletes. Um, and that amounts to a $14,000 scholarship before we even get into our sports scholarships. Um, here at the university, I'm representative of our NCAA rifle program, so we shoot the international events like all the rest of the NCAA schools do. Um, last year, we won the inaugural Southern Conference Championship, which was a great thing for us, as well as winning our fourth consecutive senior military championship and state championship. Um, so far this season, we have started really strong. We've thrown three matches into the season so far, and we've broken five school records already, so it's shaping up to be a great season for the Nighthawks. Uh, just out of curiosity, Coach, uh, do you have a, a, a senior-laden team, or is it pretty well spread out through the the classes? Um, we're actually almost perfectly even, three per year. Uh, awesome. That means you've got a, a good future ahead of you, as well as you know being really good right now. Um, when you recruit, is there any place particularly that you recruit, or can somebody be, can they request you to recruit them? I mean, I'm perfectly happy to recruit anyone who's interested in the university. It's just a matter of them contacting me so that I know who they are, and we start talking. You know, no preference if they're in-state, out-of-state, out-of-country. So, um, they're obviously student-athletes, and, and that's an important thing. How many, or you're uh, NCAA accredited, so you have um, scholarships. The normal um, tuition scholarship obviously sounds like it's, your school is a terrific school to go to, especially for in-state students. Do you uh, recruit out of state, and is that something that that our kids should look at? Yes, I mean we do recruit a lot of out of state kids because, like I said earlier, we can offer that tuition waiver so those out of state athletes can get the in state tuition. Um, and then we do have nominally twenty thousand dollars of scholarship money available in addition to that. Well, that's incredible. I can't understand why anybody that that wants to shoot and attend a university wouldn't come to your school because. Um, I've put a few kids through school, and I know what it costs. And that yeah. sure seems like a really great way to get an education and be able to shoot at the same time. It it really is. I mean, it's a phenomenal school. Our academics are super highly ranked. You know, we're you know we're the Defense Department Strategic Language Academy. We offer a bunch of very unique majors. And I mean, again, there's just a lot of financial help available for those who need it. 
Um, one of the things that, that everybody thinks about is because there is a, a shooting sports involved in the Olympics, and the international shooting is basically what the Olympic program is as well. Uh, have you had any of your uh, student-athletes uh, go on to be, participate in the Olympics or, or at least uh, be eligible to, to try out for it? Yeah, we've had plenty of athletes try out for it. Um, we've not had anyone make the Olympic team or the national team yet at this point. Um, mostly because we are a fairly young program. We've only been in the NCAA for right at 10 years now. So, you know, we're still very much a growing program as to being a very established program. Well, and I think for the kids that are are interested in being involved in your program, that might be a drawing point as uh, to have a substantial uh, role in creating a reputation for a university, just like it would be for winning a national championship. Precisely. I mean, every every athlete that comes onto my team can make a significant impact, much more so than they could on much of the larger teams, because we've just got so much more room to grow and really define who we're going to be. How many kids do you keep on the team? That varies some by each year, but currently we've got 12, and that's about average. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody on the program is scholarship to one degree or another? Um, nearly everyone. At the moment, 10 of my 12 kids are on some level of scholarship, and the two that are not are actually receiving outside scholarships, so money wasn't a particular need there. Oh, great. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Tori, let our listeners know how to get a hold of the university and how to get a hold of you so that if they're curious and getting more information, they'll know how to do that. Um, easiest way to get a hold of us is to go through our website. Um, the standard university website is ung.edu, um, and they've got all kinds of wonderful, useful links on there. If you're more interested specifically in the athletics, our website is ungathletics.com, and on there you can find my contact information as well as the rest of the athletic departments, and you can find the history of our program and our records and all of wonderful, useful information as well. Well, that's great. I really appreciate you being on with us. Thanks for sharing that information, and, and good luck the rest of the season. Sounds great, and thank you for having me. Okay, that's Tori Kostecki with the University of North Georgia shooting team. Uh, sounds like they got a great program, and for anybody interested in, in getting an education, uh, it sounds like they do a lot uh, to help the student-athletes be able to uh, get out of the university without spending an arm and a leg and being you know thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. So that that's something that in today's uh, day and age, you've really got to be conscious about, you know, getting out of school with 150 or $200,000 worth of debt, it's almost, you wonder, why did I even go? I've got to work the next 10 years just to pay back my school. So, uh, yeah, really nice having her on the show. Um, and uh, hap- happens to be the second uh, female coach uh, that we've had uh, on our spotlight. So that's, that's pretty cool, too. Our next guest is, uh, um, he's a, a growing personality, let's say, in um, the shooting sports. Um, He's fairly new to it, but he's made some big inroads into areas where it has taken some other people uh, quite a while. His name is Travis Ishida. Travis, welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. Thank you very much. Okay, so you're really a a marketing major, right? Is that that correct to say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's, that's correct. That's our primary business. Okay. Talk about that company. Tell us what the name of that company is, where you're at, what you do, who you work with, just to give uh, our um, listeners a little bit of background. 
Absolutely. Uh, so our marketing firm is Contingency X. Uh, we focus uh, specifically in the outdoors and firearms industries. We've uh, we've only been around for about three years, three four years now, um, and we've been very blessed to work with uh, some big name companies in the industry, such as U.S. Optics, Benchmark Barrels, um, Alpha Munitions, Max Michelle, uh, JJ Ricasa, um, and a bunch of others. Um, and we basically we're, we're a nuts bolts type company. We do everything from uh, digital and social media marketing to uh, media development, all the way up to feature films, so commercials and documentaries and how tos and reviews and all that kind of fun stuff. So in this day and age where everybody's trying to come up with a unique name to to call their business or um, to describe what they do, so people will remember it, you're basically a marketing and advertising company basically yes (laughs) do you do any pr stuff uh we do pr for uh for a handful of our clients um it really we try to provide all of the solutions that we can for our clients so that we can keep everything under one umbrella or or one point of contact for them so it really just depends on on the situation and the, the need of the client um Obviously, if it's something that we can handle, we try to take it on. And if it's not, we provide references to them for people that are more suited or qualified to do that for them. Well, one of the things that I know, I've I've had an advertising budget for about 20 years now. So I've had my share of agencies and PR people uh, pitch me. And, you know, the PR guys will tell you that you, you, advertising people can't do PR and advertising people will tell you that ah, PR is just another form of advertising, so you don't need both. (laughs) Uh, What I have found, though, is that there are some firms that are really, really good at the PR part of it, and the advertising part of it just seems to come along. And uh, that happens to be the the case with the firm that I'm with now. They're, they have such good relationships with everybody in the industry that anytime they want to make something happen, all they have to do is make a few phone calls and, and plan a, a, an event and boom, it, it happens. Is that how you're you know, courting your core business is by really Absolutely. developing those r- relationships? Absolutely. Our entire business is based upon relationships. Um, when we sign on a new client or go to work for somebody, it's uh, it's more or less a marriage in, in our eyes. You know, we're there to be supportive of them 100%. And then what we do is every time we start working with a new company or so on and so forth, is we have this network of people that we've developed relationships over the past several years where we try to create a, a symbiotic type of uh, relationship through everybody so that everybody benefits um, from each other's expertise or or services or product that they provide. So for us, we've um, we've never done one bit of advertising or marketing for ourselves, which is very ironic. Um, but at the same time, we've been very blessed because of the relationships that we've been able to establish over you know again the past uh, two or three years. Hey, Travis, Zev here. Uh, I got a question. What are some of the verticals that you work in, the industries? Uh, obviously, firearms. Any others that are of note? Um, primarily, um, the firearms industry uh, right now is what we're focusing on. Um, we started a huge project last year um, with the launch of the NRL. And, and so between the NRL, uh, the National Rifle League, and the Contingency X, a lot of our time has been focused specifically on, on those uh, specific markets. 
Got it. Thanks. Hey, since you mentioned the NRL National Rifle League, let, let's talk about that some. Uh, I'm curious, uh, how does um, a marketing and advertising firm justify being involved in a competition shooting event or league in this case. How does that play into your business model? Well, to be 100% honest with you, um, I fell in, when I started Contingency X, I fell in love with long-range precision shooting. Um, one of our very first clients was U.S. Optics, and um, obviously they're into the long-range precision and so we got very heavily involved in it, and I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with the people that were shooting it, um, the sport, everything about it. And a little while, you know, about a year, year and a half ago, there was an opportunity for us to start the NRL, um, and we started it up as a nonprofit. We're a five hundred one c three. It was myself, uh, Tyler Frenner, Brittany Walden, and Ian Kelby, and the benefit for us as far as a marketing and media firm is we actually are able to go out there and provide the marketing, the media, and all of the advertising uh, aspects for the NRL um, that a lot of other leagues or professions pay a ton of money for. So we're able to save a lot of money, and then in that aspect, we're able to provide a lot more because we control it back to our sponsors. So, you know, we have different... uh, different levels of sponsorships and different types of people that we sponsor, I mean, that sponsor us. Um, and we go out there and we try to really work with those companies to find out what their needs are, what new products are coming out, how we can assist and help them. So from a league's standpoint, we're not asking just for a financial sponsorship or a product sponsorship, but we're also saying, hey, we have a marketing arm to our league that can really help you um, get your message out there or promote your new product or get your stuff in, in shooters' hands. So it honestly, it works very, um, very circular. I mean, marketing media, we're able to put out video for every single match that we do. Uh, currently, last time I checked, we have the largest viewership for precision rifle matches. Um, and then we're able to go out there and help, again, the sponsors and help the shooters uh, get more seen, get more, more visibility, get out there. So that, that was our, our goal was to be able to provide a complete package for the industry to help it grow and boom a lot faster than, you know, if we were just continuing to do um, matches with, with no exposure. So you kind of bit your nose off to spite your face. Here you are, you know, putting together what you hope to be well, the, the premier uh, rifle league. And obviously as an owner and, and a, a, a somebody who's who's instrumental in making this happen you're not going to be able to shoot so uh, now you've got you, ha- you had a great passion for something and you've worked it to a point where you can't be involved in it other than you know running the matches so that's really cool i i love people who have a passion for something willing to get involved i know f- from my personal uh, standpoint I do a lot of things that don't make good business sense if you were to look at just the dollars and cents uh, of something that I get involved with, but I do it because it's good for the industry, it's good for our brand. You know, not everything that you do uh, for your brand is always good for your pocketbook. You know, some things that, that 
that help you to build your brand is a perception of what the industry sees or even our customers see that you want them to see. And and for me, that means that I do a lot of supporting junior shooters. I do a lot of supporting matches. Uh, and, you know, w- when we give, you know, virtually hundreds of certificates away for stocks over the course of a year, that never really pays us back. But for us, it's keeping our name out there, and that's part of the branding, as I, as I put it. Uh, which brings right. me to the National Rifle League. Um, when did you start having matches? How often do you have matches? Where are they? Uh, how can we get involved in it if we live here in Phoenix? So we actually just wrapped up our last match for 2017, which was held in uh, Logan, New Mexico at JP's Blue Steel Ranch. That was last weekend. Um, this year, we were fortunate enough. It, this was our inaugural year. We started off um, with seven matches this year, and our championship is going to be held in Las Vegas uh, the weekend before SHOT Show in 2018. Um, so it's, it, it was a tremendous start for us. I mean, seven matches doesn't seem like a lot in comparison to uh, some of the other leagues out there, but it was a healthy number for us where we felt that we can create a solid footprint. Um, because of the success of the NRO in its first year, we've already been working with several match directors nationwide, and I believe we're up to about 15 or 16 different matches slated for 2018, which we will be announcing here probably in about 10 or 15 days. So, um, you know, people are interested in getting involved with the National Rifle League. It's nationalrifleleague.org. Uh, you can also find us all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, as far as, as sponsors and companies getting involved, we'll be sending out, you know, information about sponsorships and ways that they can get involved around the same time that we announce our 2018 season. Um, and, you know, our inaugural year, uh, McMillan was a, a huge support. You know, you guys uh, sponsored every single one of our matches with, with gift certificates and prizes on the table. So we want to make sure to, to, you know, take the opportunity to thank you because, you and I haven't had a, a huge amount of time to talk together. I mainly deal with your daughter, but, uh, you know, thank you guys for your support. You're welcome. We're happy to do it and glad everything went well for you this year. Hey, Travis, I got a question. Yes, uh, you. Did you say that you uh, had a match before SHOT Show 2017 or you're having that match before 2018? 2018, I apologize if I said that wrong. It's the 2017 no. championship in 2018. That's brilliant, doing it the weekend before the show. How did you snag that, and what range are you using out there? <laughs> um, we were actually very fortunate enough to be working with Sin City Precision. It's the local Las Vegas club. Um, they're out there, and they hold monthly matches at Nellis uh, Air Force Base, where they have uh, an agreement with them to use one of their facilities, and that's where we're going to be holding the championship. So we'll be out there the, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before a shot show and then we're strict deadlines we get kicked off at a certain time Sunday night so everybody can set up for range day. Very cool. And are you guys supported by some of the industry trade rags like, I don't know, Guns and Ammo or uh, any of those or? You know, we we're, we're really haven't reached out to them um, a whole bunch just yet because we wanted to, to focus on our first season, making sure that everything went smooth, making sure that our shooters were happy, making sure sponsors were happy. Um, we've already been 
uh, approached, some of our match directors have been approached for our 2018 season by uh, some different publications such as Recoil Magazine. Um, we've also been approached, um, um, not by Guns and Ammo, there, another publication, I, I apologize, it's slipping my mind right now, uh, for next year, which I, I think is going to be absolutely terrific. Well, that was a great snag, and I wish you a lot of success. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that works out for you. Hey, Travis, now let's, get, let's get down to the nitty-gritty now. And without stepping on anybody's toes, because in this industry, you know, everybody knows everybody, and it's a small industry. But there's obviously a reason why you thought you could do better than some of the organizations that are out there. So tell me how the NRL is different than some of the other organizations, how your matches are different, and why people are going to gravitate towards your a series of of events rather than some of the others. So, the, in my opinion, the biggest difference in um, in our matches versus other leagues or other series matches is summed up in one word, and that's community. So, our whole focus is developing a community of shooters, and that's the whole reason why I got involved in Long Range Precision. Was I already loved the community that was starting to develop, and we've taken that and we've just enhanced it. So. When we have our matches, all of our matches are two-day matches. Um, you know, every night after the match, at a typical match, you know, two years ago, you'd shoot the match, you'd, you know, pack up, you'd go home or you'd go to your hotel. You didn't really hang out. You didn't really socialize. Um, the next day you had awards, you'd go to the awards ceremony, pack up and fly home or go home and, you know, do whatever, go to your hotel. What we've really done this year is we plan events every night after each each uh, day of the match. So, you know, Friday you come in, you sign in, register, and Friday night we're planning a dinner for everybody to come and hang out. Saturday night we're doing, you know, dinner, and sometimes different matches will have some, some extracurricular games and activities to do. Um, we try to make our our award ceremonies for just the, the local matches are, uh, you know, more eventful, more fun, uh, provide dinner. So that way people can get together, they can congregate, they can hang out, they can tell stories, talk about how their day went, what went good, what went wrong, how to improve for the next day. And this sense of community where we're all working together to better the sport is what, in my opinion, really makes us stand off from everybody else. You know, I really like that idea. It's one of the things that we've tried to do with uh, ELR is create that community where we share everything with each other so that we're actually working to improve the science and and not keeping secrets. Because if you have uh, something that turns out to be revolutionary and you don't share it with anybody then nobody grows and the sport doesn't grow hey travis i'm sorry right. we're, we're just about out of time uh, i did want to say that it sounds like what you're trying to do is exactly why i didn't really get involved in some of the different shooting disciplines that i've been to is simply because it was all about the competition and then afterwards it's kind of like well you know we shot for six hours today and i've got you know eight hours left in the day what do we do nobody nobody socializes nobody goes out and and the fact that you're really working on events to keep that whole community together throughout the entire two days is something i think is really cool well thank you sir and we definitely we want to invite you uh, you guys out if you're able to make it to our championship the weekend before SHOT Show. 
Um, we'd love to have you guys out there at the match if you want to come and spectate. Um, but regardless, I'd love to have you guys at the awards ceremony and dinner. Um, make sure to reserve you guys a table and uh, have you guys out there to see what you guys have been a part of all year. You know, I really appreciate the offer, and I I won't promise because, you know, the following week is a huge, long, tiring, difficult week for just about everybody in the firearms industry. So if we added a few days on the front end of that, of course, then we would have to kind of play for the day or two that we're not going to be setting up our booths. So I, you know, I don't know. We'll see if we can make it. We'll 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 try. But I really appreciate you. Uh, taking the time to be on the show. I really, really appreciate you taking the time and effort to work so hard. And you said, yeah, you know, there's a synergy to what you do and the people that you do it with, but you, you can't convince me that this isn't more a labor of love than it is, uh, you know, a solid sound business decision from, from <laughs> you as far as that goes. But that's what makes the difference between the people who are really willing to do anything they can to help out this industry than those who are just willing to take advantage of whatever, you know, the toil and effort that everybody else puts into it. Yes, sir. Well, thanks again, uh, Travis. Um, we're going to have to take a short break. I want to ask all of uh, my listeners to stick around for the next minute and a half or so uh, while we take a commercial break, and we'll be right back. Thanks for being with us, Travis. Appreciate it. for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Thanks for sticking with us through that commercial break. Uh, what a great guest Travis Ashita was. I'm really interested to to find out uh, how that that championship match goes in uh, 
in Vegas just before the SHOT Show. That's going to be a lot of fun. I hope I can work it out that I can be there. Uh, right now, we're going to hear from Cooper Balestrino, our digital media expert. and going to let you know what we've got going on and uh, what to look forward to. Hi, guys. Kelly, thanks for having me on again. I would just like to invite our listeners to follow and like our Instagram and Facebook pages. Uh, For updates on our weekly show and guests, please like Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan on Facebook and follow our Instagram at Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. And then for all things McMillan, like our Facebook page, McMillan Fiberglass Stocks, and follow our Instagram page at McMillan underscore stocks. And of course, with the holidays coming up, be sure to sign up for our newsletters by going our newsletter by going to our website, mcmillanusa.com. We have some great deals planned for this season and you won't want to miss out on them. And you mentioned Black Friday? Yes, the Black Friday sale, we're, we're working really hard to get you guys something that we have never offered before. So be sure to sign up. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for that. That's going to be cool. Um, I also want to mention that we have an email address, radio at mcmillanusa.com and if you have any suggestions about the show you want to make any comment you want to have any anybody in particular you'd like to have on the show send me an email uh, ask me a question you know suggest anybody i'll be happy to take a look at it and, and we'll go over those uh, every week and and see if we can't help you out so that's radio at mcmillanusa.com okay we got all the the technical stuff taken care of now to the the best part of the show. Um, our next guest is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. Uh, we've known each other for, oh, I don't know, 10 years at least. I can't remember exactly how long it's been. He probably does, because that's just the way he is. But this man is one of the most talented people I've ever met in just about anything you can talk about. He's he's a writer, he's a, a, a shotgun shooter, he's a hunter, he's a knife maker, he's a, a, a an archer, uh, anything that you can think of, a fly fisherman. I mean, and when I say he is this, it's not like he dabbles at it. Anytime he takes the time to um, try to achieve something, he puts everything he's got into it and works until he's the best there is. So uh, if there's anybody out there that's any better at him than any of these things, I haven't met him yet. So I want to introduce Andy Duffy. Andy, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Cal. I, that's quite an intro. Well, you know how I feel about you, and I you know, can't say enough to, to make people understand you know, what a terrific guy you are. Um, do me a favor. I want you to just go back to, you know, your childhood, where you grew up, you know, what it was that shaped you um, during your childhood to be the man you are, because I think it's a fascinating story and I want people to hear it. Well, uh, I was actually, I was born just outside of New York City uh, in Yonkers and my father was a really avid outdoorsman. He loved to hunt and, you know, he's a bird dog guy and Love to shoot shotguns. Love to shoot anything, really. And uh, it was his goal to get his family out of the city and out to the country. So we moved um, to Middletown, New York, a little town called Mount Hope. And uh, my nearest neighbor was about a three quarters of a mile away. So we had a range in our backyard. And so, you know, so I, we grew up. I mean, every day we shot something. It was, you know, it was really an idyllic uh, upbringing, really. And you know, my dad's uh, he's he's somebody that. Uh, really 
appreciate somebody that puts their best effort into something. So that was always a theme that ran through our, you know, all our, my brother, my brother and two sisters, you know, we all, if we're going to do anything, we had to do the best we could at it. And, um, and that, that was a theme that we were raised with. Um, you know, it's, it was just a, a great place to grow up. You know, I, I probably spent more time in the woods than I did, um, any, anywhere else really. Um, and you know, dogs played a huge role in that. Uh, I always had a, had a dog with me wherever I went and, and I was, uh, I was pretty free really. You know, I had a fishing pole and a 22 rifle and that was, that was, you know, I was either fishing or hunting or shooting something, you know, so it was, it was great fun growing up. Well, something happened to you or basically happened in your life, uh, at a certain age that, that really formed how your adulthood was going to go. And if I remember correctly, that was um, having to shoot the pigeons for your dad while he was training dogs. Would you say that that was fair to say that that's probably the start of something big for you? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. There were several pivotal moments growing up that, uh, you know, really influenced me. Uh, shooting a shotgun was something that, uh, you know, I, I didn't come naturally to me, believe it or not. Um, even though that's the thing I've had the most, um, accomplishments in, um, dad used to dangle off of rafters and pit in barns, local barns, catching these pigeons. And, uh, and I would be on the ground with a flashlight. So, you know, he'd, he'd say, turn the light. On. I'd turn the light on and he'd see where the pigeon was and turn the light off. I'd turn the light off and he'd, shimmy down the beam until he was right underneath it. And then he'd grab the pigeon and throw it down to me. So he, a lot of effort went into getting those pigeons. So now we're using, we dizzy them up and put them in the grass. So when the dog would come up and point it, you know, dad would handle the dog. And then it was my job to go in and flush the bird and shoot it over the dog. And, you know, he really didn't want to miss because he had a lot of effort in, into, into gathering those pigeons up. So there was a lot of pressure to perform right off. And, uh, you know, it was funny, the first shoot-off I ever got in, you know, I, I won the very first shoot-off I was ever in, and, and the guy I was shooting off against, you know, we were shaking hands, and he said, boy, you you must have been in a lot of shoot-offs before. I said, no, that's actually the first one. And and he looked at me and says, really, you seem pretty calm. I said, yeah, this ain't pressure. Shooting pigeons over my father's bird dogs, that's pressure. <laughs> yeah. So you started shooting shotgun as a matter of, you know, just something because you were in your backyard shooting at something anyway. Um, you learned the discipline when you were, you know, shooting over your dad's bird dogs. But eventually you got into a situation where you you had to make a decision about what you were going to do with your life. And if I remember correctly, you were a welder. You you know, you hard worker your whole life. And you were welding, and and uh, talk a little bit about how you transitioned from from welding and and making a, a specific choice to to be a shotgun shooter. Well, it it was funny how it that happened. Um, I I started I just shot around the sporting clays uh, one time, and it what happened was we found a place in in central New York that was full of rough grass, and you know when I say that you know, where we hunted around home, we, we'd move four or five birds a day hunting. And we found a place in the Finger Lakes region um, that we would move, you know, 40 a day. So it actually was worth doing, you know, I mean, the four birds a day, you got to be a real dedicated grouse hunter to enjoy that kind of a day. Um, but when we found this monster group of grouse in the 
up there in the finger. Notice how I'm saying the finger lakes. So I'm not mm-hmm. really being too specific about where it is, but anyway, um, I, I couldn't hit them. I just, you know, I would, every time a grouse would get up, I just rush the shot and, you know, I, and I had some very, very makeable shots that I didn't do. And, and it just frustrated me. So we had some excellent dogs too. And, you know, so I, I always felt like I was letting the dogs down when they did a good job pointing a bird and I'd miss it. Anyway, I, I found a place that was right near my house that had sporting clays and I went to practice to get better at shooting grouse. And then lo and behold, found out they had competitions for this. And I went to one and, and at that moment I was hooked. So the first, you know, two years of, of learning the trade of shooting sporting clays, nobody, the game was so new in this country that nobody really knew how to do it. And I was fortunate in that there were seven different sporting clays ranges within an hour and a half of my house. So I got to shoot a bunch of different targets and, um, and I got, I got good just because I, I have a, generally I'm pretty singular when, when I'm interested in something, I, I do it to distraction and, you know, tend to tend to get good at it. And anyway, the, the upshot of it was, is I won the New York state championships and six guys on long Island asked me if I would come down and do lessons for them. And I would tell, you know, I said, I'm not an instructor, but I'll come down and, show you what I can and ask me how much it would cost. And I said, you know, hundred bucks. Well, I was going to work all day for a hundred dollars and then figured that, you know, I could shoot a hundred dollars worth of targets in a day. So I'd be like getting $200. Well, at the end of the day, all six of them gave me a hundred dollar bill. And, and that just, that was a week's pay as a pipe fitter, you know, for one day of doing something that I really loved. And, um, so that was, that was the thing that really, uh, made me think that I, I could make a living doing it. And that was, um, that was right in, I think that was 89. And by 1991, I quit my job as a pipe fitter. And, and well, that's what I've been I know, doing ever since. I know you're not going to say this, so I'm going to do my best to, to let the listeners know what it is that you've accomplished by shooting a shotgun. Um, in, in NSCA, All-American team 17 times. Team USA 20 times and has over 130,000 lifetime targets. Um, uh, NSCA national champion three times and the only person to win back-to-back titles in the NSCA. Um, And you were honored in 2005 by being inducted into the NSCA Hall of Fame. And that doesn't mention, and if I'm correct, uh, I've been I've been spouting these numbers for about 10 years now. I think it's a uh, 12-time U.S., uh, three-time world side-by-side champion. Is that right? Yeah, the, the world championships, uh, the Vinegar's Cup, I've won three times. And that's, uh, you know, that's with vintage guns side-by-side. Yeah, that's, and, uh, that's, that's one of the most, that is super, that is a super fun event. Cause you know, just like what Travis was saying in your last segment, the people that go to the world side-by-side championships are, they're serious competitors. I mean, they're there to shoot well and, and they're there to win, but they, they come and they, they dress in period clothes and, and they, uh, they really immerse themselves in the time period that those guns come from. And it's, it's just a, <laughs> a really neat event because everybody, everybody really, uh, I mean, it's, it's a big social event and everybody really enjoys each other as well as the competition. It's, it's one of my favorite events of the year. Yeah. But don't let it be misunderstood that I know you, when you stand up on the, 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 uh, platform there and you get ready to shoot, 
the only thing that you're thinking about is winning. Well, yeah, and it's it's actually <laughs> been pointed out to me that it's not one of my most attractive features, but... <laughs> So, well, you know, yeah. you're either that way or you're not. And I don't think people who don't have that desire to compete and win ever get to the level of accomplishment that you have. And it's also what allows you to get where you want to be in anything you do in life. Even if it's not competitive, you still want to be really good at it. And in your own mind, you're competing against yourself to improve every time you go out, even if it's from something as simple as, which sounds as simple as making a knife to you know shooting an arrow in your backyard because you thought you might want to start um, hunting with a bow rather than a rifle. Um, one of the things that your your profile talks about is one of the coolest things that ever happened to you is when you you realized a lifelong dream to move to Montana in 2003. So your life, uh, you know, you had accomplished almost everything that you wanted to in shotgun shooting, and but but a lifestyle uh, that you know really can only be afforded by living in somewhere like Montana was something that you really look forward to. And since then, talk about basically what what has driven you and molded you since you moved to Montana? Cause it, cause your whole life changed then. Yeah. Uh, it's really, uh, you know, I still kind of look back in, in wonder about how everything happened. Um, you know, it's when, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I, I love the hunt. I love the fish and Montana had the best of both. You know, there were great bird hunting opportunities and, <clears throat> and phenomenal fishing. You know, I, I don't really care to eat trout much, but I really like to look at them and they're, they're really challenging to catch. So, you know, between those two things and, you know, my father imparted that bird dog bug to me. So I've, I've got two of the best bird dogs I've ever had. And it's mainly because I get to, you know, I take, I get to use them. You know, the thing that makes a bird dog is, is birds and you got to be in a place to, that has access to lots of birds. So, you know, we're, I'm actually right now at the, uh, rough grouse society, uh, national hunt in grand Rapids, Minnesota. And, um, I'll be there. I'm their, uh, chief shooting instructor. I've been that for, I think the last 15 years, but the, um, you know, this is the start of my, of my hunting season. And it's, you know, it's just everything I live for, you know? So when you, you talk about, you know, accomplishing everything I wanted to accomplish with a shotgun, I never really set out to accomplish anything. I just, I love to, I love to shoot and I, I love to compete and, and I just got so singularly focused on trying to do the best I could. I, you know, I wasn't really trying to beat anybody else. I was just trying to beat the course. I was trying to shoot, you know, a score that was commiserate with my skill and, and, you know, the winning kind of took care of itself. So, you know, after all that, you know, I, I travel quite a bit for work anyway, you know, I clinics and such, you know, it's hard to stay in one place and, and really do well because the, the pool of shooters, you know, you saturate the area and then, you know, everybody's had all the lessons they need. So it's really pays to be able to travel in different places and, and tap those different markets and, and help people in different areas. So you might as well be based out of Montana if you're going to be traveling as much as exactly. We met in Phoenix, Arizona, when you were hanging out there for about three months, giving lessons out at Ben Avery. And uh, I mm-hmm. asked you to give me a lesson, and, and that's where our relationship started, far more than, than coach and, and student, for sure, and really have enjoyed 
that extra relationship that you and I have. One thing I want to make sure that the people understand is you said, well, you know, I'm not a teacher. Well, you know, that was in what, you know, 87, 88, 89. As with everything else you've ever done, you have worked really hard at becoming a good teacher. And I don't think that there's a better sporting clay slash shotgun slash coach teacher out there because you weren't satisfied at just passing the time uh, an hour at, at a time with an individual. You wanted to, if you were going to coach and teach, you wanted your student to be the best shotgun shooter he could be. And I got that right away, and that's why I connected with you. You were willing to stand uh-huh. there with me and hand me shell after shell and actually pick up shells off the ground when I <laughs> dropped them, which I, I never got used to. Um, but... but for the entire time you spent with me, your only focus was to help me get to be a better shotgun shooter. Not And, it, and the fact that it put money in your pocket was just a, a sideline. It had nothing to do with why you were doing it and what you were doing. You know, I, I remember, I remember uh, our first lessons out there, Ben Avery, and, and you know, people that have watched me give lessons um, – very often the comment they make is, man, you're really patient. And it's, it's really not that way. I'm not very patient. What I have is if I have somebody that is really trying to implement the things I'm trying to impart to them, then if they're trying, I'm trying. So it really is a mirror, you know, and, and, you know, in all the time that I've known you, one of the things that I think is, um, is really interesting about you is you like to learn things. Uh, when you first decided you were going to go to Africa, you went and took a class in, uh, I think it was, uh, Monty was the fellow's name, wasn't it, from San Antonio? Exactly, uh, Safari Shooting School. Right, so, you know, when we showed up down there, you had you had been through the school and you had an idea of, of what was expected and what was going to go on, and I remember the shot you made on the zebra, that was uh, in, the, in the Triangle of Death. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember anyway, it too, yeah. though, I, th- though there is no video evidence of it, though. I don't know what happened to it. It just disappeared somewhere. Yeah, but that was incredible. I mean, we'd been, we'd been trying to get a shot at one of those things for four or five days, and, and when it finally came down, it was purely an accident. You know, the thing just stepped out in the wrong place, and, and you made a beautiful shot on it. So the, the, the work that you'd done down at, in San Antonio going to that school was readily apparent. So, you know, that's just something I notice about you. You know, you, you, the ballroom dancing and the, and the guitar playing, and, you know, you just like, you like to learn different things and you don't have to be a national champion at it. You know, you just, your, your interests are, are wide and varied. And, you know, it was always easy to work with you when we were, uh, you know, just teaching you how to shoot a particular target because you're a really good athlete and a really good, good student. You know, you paid attention. So that's the thing about, you know, about giving lessons, you know, honestly, I, I really do enjoy it. And I mean, if I had enough money in the bank, I wouldn't charge for it. I just, you know, I do it for nothing. So I, I mean, it really is a very, very satisfying thing. You know, when somebody hits a target and that they never thought that they could do before, I get a way bigger kick out of it than they, than they do. I guarantee you. Yeah. Well, I remember, and being a, a good athlete wasn't necessarily the best thing 
when it came to shooting shotgun because uh, way too muscular. I, my move was too muscular, too quick. Too, you know, I just, I, I could never, it's the it's same with my golf swing. I'm really nice and slow and smooth to the back of my backswing, but once the club starts down, I'm totally out of control. So, and that's kind of the way it was with my shotgun move, but we worked really hard at it. And, and don't get me wrong, I never wanted to be, be mediocre, but if I tried as hard as I could and, and was mediocre, then I was okay with it. And I remember coming up to Paulson and, and shooting at that range not too far from your place where I shot three boxes of shells at the same target. And it wasn't until shot number 74 till I hit it the first time. And I don't know if you remember that, but it was when you said, well, try closing your left eye. There was something about the way that the target was coming from behind me, crossed in front of a big beam that was on the stand that I was standing on, and and I couldn't catch it after it came out behind the beam. And, uh, you know, I tried as hard as I could to hit that thing, and then, then you see, I closed my eyes, just pulverized it, and you said, okay, try shooting regular, missed it again. He said, okay, close your eye again, hit it again. And he said, well, that's it. <laughs> that's the problem. You need to close your eye on that target, just that target. So, you know, um, I was never gifted with with a lot of physical ability on anything. I had to work real hard at what I did. And whatever my results were, as long as I felt like I was working hard enough, I shot 5,600 registered targets that year. We shot 1,200 targets that four-day weekend that I spent up there with you. Now, I'm uh-huh. not, I am not recommending that for anybody because I think you and I both came to the conclusion that that was probably way more than I needed to to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah, sometimes you got it, though. You know, I, it's like the first year I won the Nationals, uh, the NSCA Nationals. Uh, 94. I mean, I was shooting three flats a day, which is 750 shells a day. So there's a, there's a place. And, you know, now that I'm in a position now to look back, I, I can see that I got good value out of the first flat, the first 250 shells. The other 500 was just to convince myself that I had trained as absolutely hard as I could and I couldn't put any more effort in and I might as well just shoot because there was nothing else I could have done to get ready for the shoot. And, and in that regard, it was worth doing because it, it enabled me to get to the nationals and just shoot and play my game. Uh, if I had thought that I could have done more and hadn't, then there's a good chance I would have overtried. And, you know, but so, you know, I can say that there, there are times to shoot a bunch of shells and there's times not to. And, and, you know, what you were after there, you know, you'd come all that way up and, you know, as long as we were, as long as we were able, we were pulling the trigger. And I think, I think you got good value out of it all the whole time you were up there. Absolutely. So, uh, my golf a, instructor once told me that, uh, you know, okay, say you're a 20 handicap. If you go to the range and you hit 50 balls, if you're a 20 handicap, you're going to hit 30 of them poorly and you're going to hit 20, 20 of them well. So you're actually reinforcing the poor shots more than you are the real shot. But when I'm standing there in front of a, a video uh, camera, and they're videoing every swing I make, and I look at every swing, and I can make the connection between what it felt like and what it looked like, what I want it to look like, and then how to make it feel like that to, to get it to do that, then every swing I take 
is valuable to me. And I think that that's the way the shotgun is when you have an instructor right there with you. We're, we're getting a little short on time, Andy, as I told you we would. But there's a couple of things that I want to cover that we haven't covered yet. So we got about four minutes. Um, you've already talked about the, the run, uh, the role that, that guns have played in your life. I know you carry a gun. You travel all the time. You've talked to me about incidents that's happened to you when on the road where had you you know, not had a gun with you, things could have turned out a whole lot different. Um, but, you know, our, our country's in quite a state now. Um, give us a little bit of, of your feelings about where we're at now and, and where we need to go and how we need to get there. Well, you know, the, the whole thing about the gun control issue, you know, our founding fathers knew human nature. And and they knew that, that ultimate power corrupts ultimately. So they were trying to set up a system of government that was going to withstand that. So you know, we're not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic, which means we have, you know, we follow the law. And, and if you were to just put yourself in their place at the time, they, they were citizen soldiers. I mean, they showed up with their own guns for the most part. And, and that's what they envisioned for us. You know, if, you know, as far as tyranny goes, it's not, you know, our, the, the people in our government are by and large well-intentioned, but, you know, it all it takes is a few generations for that to slip. And then, you know, a tyrant can show up and, and we have to have the, the ability to, to mount a resistance to that. And if you look at the last century, 260 million people died at the hands of government. And the first thing, the very first thing that all those governments did was they took the guns away. And, and you can just look at it time and again. It's, that's the first thing. Once, once you don't have guns and you can't mount a resistance, they have complete control of you, and that's when millions of people die. And, you know, Stalin said it best. He says, one man's death is a tragedy. A million is a statistic. And that's, that's the thing we're dealing with here. We were looking, you know, it's a knee-jerk reaction to look at these 50 people that, or 59 people that, that were murdered senselessly. And, you know, my heart goes out to him. It, it, it kills me. You know, it just tears the guts out of me to, to look at that. But it's still, you know, overall, there's so many more responsible gun owners in this country that you never hear about that have stopped problems and, and crimes and murders that, you know, don't get published. I mean, both of the incidents that I had where I had to draw my pistol, it stopped the, the altercation instantly. And I didn't have to shoot anybody. And that never gets written up in a in a in a police report because nothing happened. There's no report. So you don't, it's, you don't understand how the benefits that having guns in, in our society really do. Well, I agree with you a hundred percent. And the sad thing is, is that the people who actually want to take our guns away with us, they, they keep spouting statistics and making statements that, that are totally false. But as, as long as they continue to say it, more people start to believe it. And it, it gets to the point where we're really arguing about something that, that isn't even the point. Hey, Andy, I, I hate to do this. Uh, you know, I've had such a great time talking with you. We've got about 30 seconds left here. And, and I've got uh, some things to take care of before we go. I just want to thank you for being on the show. Thanks for being a friend of mine. Thanks for being a true American. Uh, you know, if, if there was ever any uh, cause to, to pick up sides, I want you on mine. <laughs> Thanks very much, Kelly. And it's been my honor to be on the show with you. Great. It's a terrific guest you were. 
And I want to thank all of our listeners for listening to us. Uh, I, you know, if you can't tell, you know, I've got a man crush on Andy. He's such a great friend and a, a great guy, uh, terrific outdoorsman. He he would have fared really well having lived back in the 1850s, 1860s. Uh, and it's it's really fun to have him on the show. I'd like to thank you all for being here with us this week. We'll be back next week on Voice America Sports Channel. And uh, go out and have a great weekend. It's going to be a, a great weekend for me. I leave in about 15 minutes to go on an antelope hunt in New Mexico. And um, I'll give you a, a little bit of a rundown on that when I get back next week. Go out and have a great time. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.